I've threatened them otherwise. So without further ado, my message this morning, we're in between. And I want to just say I love this time of year, not the in-between time, but the time we're about to go into Thanksgiving and Advent. Uh, so beginning in a couple weeks, we will do a, an Advent series talking about uh, events surrounded by and leading up to the birth of Jesus. I love that. Um, but we're kind of in between things right now. So today is not part of a series. It's just one little message, but also about Jesus. And it's, it's Jesus by John. The Apostle John had a lot of things to say about Jesus. Some of them are somewhat provocative. So we'll, uh, we'll look at those today. I want to begin, if we could, with a prophetic introduction. As I shared before, I'm not being prophetic uh, so much as Zechariah is being prophetic. But again, Zechariah, hundreds of years before John wrote or Jesus was born, he said this, Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you. You will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. So Zechariah's audience of course, was the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And this would have been really, really good news for them. Uh, they, they had some context for this. They remembered a time when God's presence was with them. And uh, the time that they remembered really was uh, a time where the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. You remember that whole wandering period they did, the 40 years in the wilderness during that time? God's presence really was with them. The whole we'll, we'll talk about Exodus a little bit today. The whole cloud and fire thing. Uh, God's presence was there. And then they, they finally made it. It took them 40 years. I read somewhere that that journey should have taken about three or four weeks, I think. That's the distance that by walking that they would have, they would have taken to travel that far. But uh, it took them a long time just because they, they didn't really listen as closely as they should. Uh, Something that, that, that strikes me is once they got into the promised land, things didn't go that well. And sometimes it, I think God's presence seems more real to us in times when we really need it than in times when things are going well. Sometimes when things are going well in my life, I find that I sort of lose sight of God a little bit. But when I'm in desperation and need of God, I seem to be much more aware of his presence. And that was kind of the case for the Israelites. Um, so they had been in the promised land there and then eventually taken into captivity. It had been a long time since God's presence had been real and powerful and direct and close and with them. So when Zechariah said this, uh, th they would have looked back to that time and been very excited because shout, he's coming again. He's going to be here. That would have been an exciting thing for them to hear. Now, there's a, a strange thing about this verse. There's a grammatical error there. I don't know if you guys pick up on stuff like this when you read the Bible. I do. It's, it's strange to me that he says, I am coming, I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. So the Lord is coming to live with them, but the Lord is also sending the Lord to them. Uh, that, that's a weird thing. We don't normally do that. If I'm going to send somebody to come and be with you, they go. I wouldn't say, I'm sending Glenn to come be with you, and I'm going to be with you. That just seems weird. And that is weird. It's, it's a little hard for us to uh, really get our heads around until we consider Jesus. When we realize that, uh, and again, the Trinity is one of the most challenging concepts to, to get a hold of, but that God is God, 
He's three in one. He's there. He is sending himself in the form of Jesus to come and be with his people again. That's the prophecy that Zechariah shared. That's what the Israelites heard. And that really is the powerful reality uh, that John writes about hundreds of years later when he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What John was writing about was what Zechariah had prophesied about. It finally happened. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, another thing that strikes me as weird, and I, I, I don't know, I, my brain, I just think about things, but in the church today, a lot of times we talk about the Word. The Word. We talk about the Word of God. What is the Word of God when we talk about that? The Bible. But, but it's weird to me, the Bible never calls itself the Word. Did you ever notice that? The Bible is not called the Word in the Bible. In the Bible, the Word is what? No. It's Jesus. <laughs> the Word is Jesus. I want one of those buttons. I want a button. No, it, Scripture refers to the Word. It always refers to Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And John says, and the Word became flesh. That is I mean, maybe it doesn't strike you as such, but that is a powerful statement. The word became flesh. Uh, again, we think of the flesh, and, and there's, there's, it's you, Paul uses it this way to describe the sort of carnal nature of man, the dark side, you know what I mean? Uh, the sinful part of us. And so when we think of the flesh, we automatically think of that, but, but really what the word means is flesh. Uh, the word is sarks in Greek. It literally means meat. It's meat. You go to the store, I, this is my favorite thing to do. I, I love to go to, uh, well, I love to go to, to Gardner's up, up in, uh, by the airport, but if I can't go there, I at least go to Fred Meyer. And I love to just stand in front of the meat counter and just look. Uh, uh, and, and the guy comes over, and he goes, what can I help you with? And I go, I don't know, I want meat, but I'm just trying to figure out what kind. Uh, the word is meat. The word became flesh it became meat it took on a physical form god came to life what was previously um infinite if you think of god i always think of that picture uh michelangelo with the finger you know of god and the finger the the, the finger not the finger don't think that way i saw that you guys the finger of god i think of that but god was infinite he's sort of this undefined indescribable uh, presence out there what was that what was invisible became visible it became finite it became definable what what was god out in eternity became god in the flesh he changed and that's another thing that i think is a little bit tough for us to understand when it says uh, the word god became flesh god became something up until this point god didn't become anything right God was. We think, we think of God. God in, you know, John says earlier, in the beginning, the Word was God, and the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God always was. He was just there. Uh, he, he, he's being. We think of God being. We think of God doing. God does stuff, right? He does stuff all the time. God's being. God's doing. But now God became something. You know, he changed. And, and you know, the Word says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his nature, his character, who he is in his heart doesn't ever change. He's good and faithful. We know that, right? God is good when? 
Yes, he does. It's so good. God is good all the time. He doesn't change in that regard. But what does change about God, and this is important for us, in the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, in the transition that John is talking about here, God changes in the way he relates to his people. In, in Jesus, God relates to his people differently than he had prior to that. And in this particular instance, God himself actually changes. He changes his shape, his form. God changes so that he can relate differently. When John says, and the word became flesh, he, God changed in such a way that he took on solidarity with his people. He goes, I want to become one of you. I want to become like you. I want to be with you so that I can relate to you in a whole different way than I've ever related to you before. The people of Israel would have had this understanding of God being sort of out there, sort of spiritual, sort of ethereal, and all of a sudden God's a human being. He's right in front of them, and he did that so that he could relate to them. And it says, and he made his dwelling among them. God came and lived among his people. I like the message here. It says he uh, moved into the neighborhood. Sometimes people say, oh, the neighborhood's going to hell. You know, these people move in. Sometimes I think that's, I like it. It's more exciting. Crazy guys moved in across the street. What's going to happen now? Jesus moved in the neighborhood. All kinds of crazy stuff happened. Didn't it? I wonder what they thought. Well, Jesus, this guy's in the neighborhood. What's he going to do here? The word, it's interesting. How many of you guys go camping? Anybody like to camp? Uh, people, people that like camping like camping because it's kind of, it's, it's sort of fun. It's kind of intimate, isn't it? You sit around the fire. You know, you, it's, it's sort of a fun thing. Where am I going with this? Roger's giving me that look. This is where I'm going. Uh... It says he dwelt among us. The word there literally means he tented. He set up a tent. Jesus went camping with his people. Sat around the fire. He hung out with them. He shared stories with them. Jesus tented among his people. Now again, the Jewish readers, the audience that originally read this text, would immediately have thought back to that time in the desert, in the wilderness. They'd heard the stories about how their, their ancestors had come through the desert and set up tents. And they would have heard the stories about how God came and his presence was there while they were tenting in the desert. They would have heard the stories about how God's presence was with them and God dwelt with them. And they would have remembered that and they would have understood that. And they would have heard this and said, really? God's going to do that again? God's going to come and be with us in that way again? Look at Exodus with me for a minute. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. We have our tents. There's the tent of meeting. That's where we go to meet with God. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents. They have tents. God has a tent. Watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. God set up his tent. He moved into the neighborhood. He hung out with them. And John says that's what God's going to do today. That's what God's doing again. 
He's setting up a tent. His presence is going to come and be with you. And just in the way that Moses spoke face to face, we'll see him face to face again. Jesus comes tenting and he comes in glory. We've seen his glory. Bless you. Um, I like this. We have seen his glory. It's not hypothetical. It's, you know, God is glorious, right? We know that. But we, we know that by faith. We know that in our, our hearts, it's kind of hypothetical. It's sort of, even for some people, theoretical. We believe that God is glorious, uh, or, or, or maybe it's philosophical. We philosophically, we, you know, we believe God's supposed to be glorious. Bless you, bless you. Bless you all. But when we've seen his glory, it's no longer hypothetical. It's no longer theoretical. It's no longer philosophical. We've seen it. It's real. It's ag- Anybody ever come into the presence of God and the glory of God for the first time and all of a sudden it just changes everything in your heart? Everything you believe to be true. I remember, man, I, I don't know how old I was, 20-ish, and uh, being in worship one night, and the presence of God was so real, and I... Uh, I had my hands raised, and and, and uh, my eyes closed, and uh, I've been there, I don't know how long, a long time. I'm not going to raise my hands all the way up because my belly will show, but I don't want to stumble anyone. Um, well, you know, you can show your belly if you want. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. Okay, that's a little inside joke. Talk to Shane later. Uh, but the point was that at a given point, I'd been there for a while, and I actually kind of came to my senses, so to speak, and I thought, I don't know if my feet are actually still on the ground or not. And, and I opened my eyes to look down to see if I was still on the ground. I mean, that's how close the presence of God felt to me. Uh, when I did open my eyes, I actually somehow had gotten turned around, and I was standing right face to the wall, I, like I was in trouble. But the glory of God was so real, it was so present, and I think that's what John's trying to communicate here We've seen his glory. It's, it's not a theory. It's not an idea. It's not something out there. God's glory is, is real, and, and it's with us, and it's the glory of the one and only Son. And, and the truth is this, that what, what John's describing here, Jesus is one of a kind. There's nobody else like him. There's no other glory. There's nothing. People say, what's the difference I, you know, I, I, all those answers, we, we, we go to all the apologetic, all this stuff. What's the difference between Christianity and, and other religions? Why do they believe that? I, I, you know what? The, the answer is Jesus. That's the answer. What's the difference between this and everything else? There's nobody like that. B- Buddha's not like that. Confucius is not like that. Uh, Muhammad is not like that. Nobody's like that. Jesus is the reason. That's what's different. We saw the glory of the one and only Son of God. That's what we saw. Jesus is the way that God reveals himself to his people. We beheld his glory. We saw the glory of God. Here's Exodus again. Again, the Israelites are in the desert. They're wandering. And the glory of God comes to them in the form of a cloud by day. And then that cloud, when it gets dark outside, the cloud gets filled up with fire. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Tabernacle is another word for tent. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord 
was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. What does all that mean? It means this, that the presence of God was everything to them. They stay where it was. When the presence of God was there, they stayed. When the presence of God left, they left. He was not only, the glory of God was not only his presence with them, it was their GPS system. You know what I mean? I just love that. I just think, what would it be like if we, we say all the time, when we only want to do what we see the Father doing, what would our lives really be like if we really didn't go anywhere, do anything, unless God went and did it? What would it be like if God didn't move, I'm not moving? It's so hard. It, I, I, I'm not going to say it's easy. I, I think it's challenging to, to really be that in tune, that aware of God's presence to say, Lord, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to do anything until you go. I'm going to stay with you all the time. But that's really what I believe God wants from us. He wants to be so intimate, so close, so real that we're so aware of him. We're so in tune to his voice that if he says, hey, go over there and look at the water, guy. Go over there and look at the water, guy. He says, no, just hang out here for a little while. Wait, let's see what might happen here. We stay here. That we're that close, that real, that God's presence becomes a GPS like that. Now, understand this. Here's the, here's the thing. John is using this language intentionally to refer back so that the Israelites will have a frame of reference. They understand that. But he also understands that what they saw, what they knew, was only a shadow of what Jesus really was. They didn't know the full glory of God. The cloud, the fire, all that wasn't the full glory of God. It was, it was a shadow of the glory of God. It, it was something that wasn't yet to come. The full glory of God came in Jesus. All of a sudden, we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. But the glory of Jesus is different, isn't it? It's not as easy to see. Glory in Jesus looks different than they they anticipated it looking, really. I mean, again, Advent's coming. We're going to talk about Christmas, and we think about, you know, there's the star and the angels and all that. The glory of Jesus is born in a manger. Right, we know that the glory, of, the glory of Jesus is a glory that really never gained him fame and fortune. He he wasn't the the most popular, the most powerful in the worldly sense person. He was he was humble. The, the glory of God in Jesus is a glory that says, "Hey, I'm going to hang out with the people that nobody else is going to hang out with because nobody else is going to hang out with them." It's not a glorious thing. We, we might look down on that. We might go, what's that guy doing hanging out with those people? They're, doesn't he know he's going to get dirty? Doesn't he know he's going to get tedious? Jesus said, that's my glory. <coughs> my glory is to welcome sinners. My glory is to hang with the outcasts. My glory is to spend my time and my heart and my love and my life with those people that nobody else will spend time with. The glory of God in Jesus is the glory of somebody who dies on a cross. Jesus completely redefined what glory means for us. I, I, I love this. Jesus is so, uh, again, the way he talked to his disciples, I, 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 he's just like always got a little surprise up his sleeve. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Can you imagine if you're the disciples, you're following Jesus, he says, the hour has come for me to be glorified. Like, yes, 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 this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Now he's going to do it. And then he says this. 
Very truly, I tell you, what? Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many people. That's your goal? To die? But Jesus, that's not what we're saying. The death of Jesus was really the ultimate manifestation of his glory. He completely redefined what glory was. He says he was full of grace and truth. Again, the grace and truth that the Israelites knew was a shadow, was a reflection. It wasn't the fullness. Now it's the fullness. Look at these two words in Exodus in Hebrew would have been love and faithfulness. The glory of God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness in Hebrew. Grace and truth are the full manifestation in the Greek. John, again, is using this language of Exodus to bring the people to a place of understanding how close God wants to be and how he wants to come to them. In one hand, it's a little bit the glory thing. Uh, when you think of it, the Old Testament it's sort of like a rock show in a sense. You've got the cloud with the pyrotechnics, you know, the fire, the smoke pots, the flash pots going on. It seems it's kind of glorious. You go, ooh, that's big. And then you've got Jesus. You go, hmm, not so big, not so powerful, not so mighty. Jesus says if you have eyes to see. And I think if we have eyes to see, we look at Jesus and we begin to realize there's something there. If you've ever been in that place where you really look into the eyes of Jesus, you look into the face of beauty and you see something you've never seen before, you realize that everything else is a shadow of that. Everything else is a shadow of that. This is the way Paul puts it in Colossians. He says, don't let anyone judge you. He talk, he's talking about the law here, the Old Testament, by what you eat or drink, religious festivals, new moon celebrations, Sabbath day. Don't, don't let them judge you by those things. Why? Because those are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All of that is a shadow. All of, all of what John's saying you used to know, as good as it was, it's going to get better in Jesus. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is the most complete revelation of God that we have anywhere in Scripture, anywhere in life, anywhere in the world. We can see God in a lot of ways. We can see God in creation. And, and a lot of us enjoy that. You see the mountains, you see the lakes, you, see, you feel God's presence. We see God in the hearts and lives of the people we love. You know, you see your kids. I see my grandkids. I go, it's just God is so real. I love that. We see, we see God in a lot of places. We, we read about God. In, we can read about God in books. We read about God in the Old Testament. But if you look, the fullest revelation we have, if you really want to know what's God like, what's God like? Look at Jesus. Don't look at anything. Look at Jesus. That's what God's like. Full of grace and truth. That's the fullest revelation of God. So here's what uh, I'll, I'll sort of end with this today. Just application, okay? H how does this work in our lives? If, if the death of Jesus was his glory, if he's our example, if we follow after him, we want to be like him, how does that fit for me? What do I do with this? First of all, just understand it. Glory in God is different than glory in the world. Okay? So Jesus redefines glory in this way, that to be successful is to sacrifice. 
That's what it means to be glorious. To, 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 to win the, the war, to have victory, really is to die to yourself. Victory comes in death. To shine brightly, you know, your, your 15 minutes of fame, really is to serve. Really is to serve. That's what it means to shine for. Fame is, is found in very quietly, very humbly, very secretly, very in a hidden way, just caring for, loving the people around you. That's really what God's called us to do. Jesus wants us to die to ourselves and to become more like him in this life. And my thought is this. That's not an easy thing to do. Nobody likes the idea of that. How am I avoiding dying to myself? What what might God be calling me to do to die to myself that I might become more like Christ in this life? I think there's a few ways. One way is, uh, and this is a big one for, for us in our culture today, to, uh, to die to comfort and convenience. We love convenience. We love all the gadgets and the things, everything that makes my life easier and faster and better and so nice and snuggly. We love all that, right? God might be saying, hey, I want you to give up a little bit of that. I want you to die to yourself a little bit. Sacrifice a little bit of your comfort, your convenience on behalf of others. Maybe you need to take one of those days, one of those evenings and that you're so warm and fuzzy by your fireplace with your pinot and go out and serve in a shelter somewhere. I don't know. It's just a thought. For some of us, it's the death of privilege. We live a privileged life today, and maybe we come to a place, I don't know if you've ever done this. I probably, you know, I think, well, hey, I do great things for God. I do great things. I've got a, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty important person. I've got a reputation. Maybe what God's calling me to do is not do amazing, great things in my life. Not to be the big shot of anything. Maybe what God's calling me to do is love the people around me and then grow old and die. And I want you to know that's an amazing life. You love the people around you and you grow old and die. You've lived an amazing life. I don't know of anything any greater than that. Just to be in the presence of God, so full of the Spirit of God in such a way. I just radiate the love of him to those people around me. At the end of my life, I just say, God, that was good. I don't have any regrets about that. I don't know about that. For some of us, there's sin in our lives, and we don't let go of it. And The death God's calling us to ourself is a death to that sin. And there, there might be things in our lives, habits, that we've given ourselves over to that are keeping us from all that God has. And my encouragement today would just be to say, uh, Ask the Lord to reveal those things to you in his spirit and to give you the strength to walk away and to turn to him. Sometimes those are emotional habits. I, you know, here, I just think sometimes we get easily annoyed, get cranky, get grumpy with people. And I think it's easy. You know, if, if someone is in heinous sin, as by our definition over there, it's easy for us to go, well, that guy's bad. But maybe I'm just grumpy, and I give myself a pass. It's okay for me to be grumpy because I've had a hard life. It's okay for me to be grumpy because it's just the way I am. God goes, no, you know what? Really, it's a sin. 
You're no different than that sinner. Your sin is just as heinous as that sinner. God called you to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And maybe we need to revisit those things. We say, Lord, I need the fruit of the Spirit. Help me grow in that. Help me to let go. Help me to die to myself and let go of some of those things in my life and say, fill me with your Spirit. Lord, I want different things from you. Sometimes it's the death of a dream. Sometimes we have dreams before us. It's a, the perfect life, the perfect job, the perfect family, the perfect spouse, the perfect whatever. And God says, you know, that's not really what I've called you to. I've got something else for you, and we have to let go of that. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't give us our dreams. I'm not saying, I'm just saying sometimes maybe what we have had in our heart, maybe, and I think sometimes from a young age, we get this picture implanted in our minds of something that is the perfect world. God says, no, I I got a different world for you than that. But really, if you trust me, follow me, you're going to like the world I have for you a whole lot better. He wants us to die to ourselves, to learn to be content in him right now where we are, to see him for who he is, to allow his presence and his glory to transform us to become more like him. Stand with me, and I'm going to read the verse one more time, and if uh, the worship team would come back up. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Lord, you've become real. You've become whole. You've become visible. You were invisible and you became visible. You were infinite and you became finite. You were undescribable and you became describable. And you made your dwelling among us. Lord, you didn't come for a visit. You came to stay. You didn't come once and go home. You didn't come for a while. You made your dwelling. You set up your tent. You moved into the neighborhood. Lord, we want to be in that neighborhood. We want to share that tent. We want to see you dwell with you, talk with you. We want to camp out. We want to sit by the fire and tell stories with you, Lord. We've seen your glory, Lord. We know that the glory that you bring is real, tangible. It's not hypothetical. It's not, it, it's not an idea. It's not a concept. We've seen it. We look into the face of Jesus and we see a glory that's different than anything we've thought of before, but it's so precious and so beautiful. Lord, we want that glory. We want more of it. We want to see you in that way. We know that you, God, are the one and only Son who came from the Father. There's no one like you, Lord. No one like you. You're one of a kind. There's no one like you, Lord. What's the difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other faith, every other everything? It's Jesus. And you're full of grace and truth. You're full of grace and truth. It's not a little grace or a little truth. You're full of grace and truth. You are truth. You are grace, Lord. Everything about you. All that you are. You have grace for us today. I want to invite our ministry team to come up. If you guys would come to the front. We want to pray for people today that just need a touch from God. If you felt in any way disconnected, separate, like God's not real and tangible, we just want to pray that God would become more real in your life. I don't know. That might be in healing. It might be in some other way. I don't know. But if in any, in any capacity, in any regard, God's felt distant from you. I want to invite you to come. I want to say something today. We talked about this last night a little bit on the way home. I don't care how many times you come up for prayer. God doesn't care how many times. You come up every week. You come up every week for the next five years. That's okay. Don't, don't let the enemy sneak in and say, oh, you went up for prayer last week. You can't go up for prayer this week. 
Oh, people are going to think you're really needy if you go up for prayer three times in a row. No, forget that. God says, I want you to come as often as you come. Come to me. Come to me. We're just here to pray with you for that. So if you guys would just enter into ministry and pray a little bit. Holly has a word. Shut up for a minute.